everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. On Everyday Injustice, we have Jamel Carter from the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Recidivism is one of the greatest flaws of our criminal justice system. We punish people to the hilt and then they get released without the tools to survive outside our prison system, and they end up re-offending and going right back in. The heart of criminal justice reform, one of the goals is to end this never-ending cycle of prison and poverty. The Anti-Recidivism Coalition is fighting that frontline battle. Their mission is to change lives and create safe, healthy communities by providing a support and advocacy network and by formerly incarcerated men and women. To accomplish this mission, ARC advocates for fair policies in the juvenile and criminal justice system and provides a support network and reentry services to formerly incarcerated individuals. Our guest for this show is Jamel Carter. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got involved in all of this? Yeah. So again, my name is Jamel Carter. I'm currently a, a life coach for ARC. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm from, I'm from San Bernardino. Um, I grew up on the west side of town, which was, uh, you know, was kind of rough. Growing up, um, many of the dysfunctions, easily, I was easily influenced by the dysfunctions of my home and in my community. Uh, as a young teenager, uh, I lived a criminal and gang life. And in 1994, uh, I made a bad decision where I ended up committing murder. And the worst day of my life, I was sentenced. For 30 years uh, with a license, and my parents was in the courtroom. I made a promise to my mother I would do whatever it took to figure things out and make it back home. And when I got home, I would right my wrongs. Um, making a long story short, uh, I was very blessed to have good people come into my life, men helping me out, helping me figure things out, uh, for lack of better words, helping me connect the dots. I was very blessed in 2016 to go to the board with all the work that I've done, all the education that I've done, and present myself to change man. I was blessed to get found suitable. Uh, the best day of my life uh, was uh, July 8th. I was able to return home, still blessed to have both of my parents in my life. 
I told my mother I made good on the promise and I would do the second part of that promise, which is to right my wrong. Uh, me being a part of the Hope and Redemption team through ARC, Anti-Recidivism Coalition, this is me righting my wrongs, going back into prison, getting back to brothers like many of the men did with me, helping them figure things out, helping them connect the dots and be in a position to come home to be productive members of society. So what does the Anti-Recidivism Coalition do? So the Anti-Recidivism Coalition is an organization made up primarily of formerly incarcerated men and women. And we, we advocate for laws, resentencing laws, that are, uh, put people in a position where they may be, in, um, come, be able to come back home. Uh, we also provide uh, to be a source for men and women coming um, in prison and helping them rehabilitate themselves. And when, once they come home, I think where the biggest challenge is, is what to do next with their lives. So ARC uh, just facilitates that whole process and the whole reentry and just being a solid place for an individual that's coming home from prison. And is this completely a voluntary thing or are you a paid employee? So I am a paid employee, uh, and many of the um, members are, are volunteer. Uh, it's, it's, but I am a paid employee. And how many people are involved in this organization? I'm not sure of the, uh, the head count of everybody, but I believe we have at this point 70 members of staff, and I believe like member-wise, it's, it's in the hundreds, so I, I can't speak to a definite number. And can you tell us a bit more about the Hope and Redemption team and what you do for it? Yes, the Hope and Redemption team uh, consists of formerly incarcerated men where we go back into the prison and we facilitate self-help groups to help men to figure things out. Uh, the curriculum, like, to help these men uh, prepare them for the board and to prepare them uh, in understanding what they need to do to change, which is really one of the biggest challenges in figuring out what needs to change. And then uh, the other part of the, that we help the men in is the, in having remorse and being able to be remorseful and understanding what the, the crime that they committed, uh, like, understanding the magnitude and the impact of their crimes, and then also, too, in preparing them to be productive members of society. So we, we go into, there's eight prisons that we go into and we facilitate these groups throughout the, throughout the prison system. And there's Sentinella, Calipat, Ironwood, North Kern, Kern, Corcoran, and the latest prison that we've added to the list is uh, Pelican Bay. When you go in there, are are the people that you're working with are they receptive, or is do you have to like convince them that they need to do this stuff? So I would say there's a little bit of both. You have people that are already involved and in, in, that have already made personal commitments to their lives to change, and then you have some that just are still where they're at and then and then whatever their addictions may be, uh, just not even believing in the possibility of rehabilitation because so many 
for so many, the attitude was you'll die in prison. So you have a little bit of both. Um, yeah. How old were you when, when, when you committed your crime? I was 20 years old when I committed my, my crime in 1994. And when you went in, was that the wake-up call, or or did you have to go through a period of time before you go, man, I don't want to do this anymore? So, as I mentioned earlier, I did make a promise to my mother I was going to do whatever it took. But going in, like, I didn't really make the adjustments in correcting my life immediately. Uh, again, like, like so many other men, myself included, like, part of the attitude was you're going to die in prison. Um, like on sentencing day, the, 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 the DA looked over and said, you're going to die in prison after I got sentenced. So for many men, that was the attitude and they reflected in, the, in their behavior going into prison. Like they have nothing. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to die here. Uh, for me, I didn't believe in that. Like I said, I made a promise and, and not only just a promise though, but I was blessed, like I said, to have good men to come in my life to show me. And not only that, to educate me, but then the environment, some of the environments, the prisons that I went to, the positive programming was real big and in, in, in helping me correct my life and change my life and education being number one. So I had access to, to college, college programs and things like that. So there wasn't like one moment that you woke up and you go, I, I got to do this differently now. I'll say this, it was a combination of moments, but one of the one moments that stands out to me as I reflect right now was in 20, 2008 when I saw the first life to go home. I knew that it, uh, some of the laws that were in place or beginning phase of it, I knew that it was real. And then I made, a, uh, at that point, I made more of a commitment to the positive work that I was doing. It became real. So when that was the adjustment, uh, um, I believe it was the beginning part of uh, 250, Senegal 250, and, and uh, so it, be, it became real for me. And how did you convince the parole board to give you a second chance? So, there, from what I what I gather and, and what I know, there's a, a standard that you have to, to, to be met. One being insight, and the question almost associated with insight is, how did you become the person that could, in my case, take somebody's life, kill somebody? So with, with having insight, understanding, like, a, like I mentioned earlier, the dysfunctions in my home and outside of my home and how all these things had an influence on me becoming the person that can, can take somebody's life. I literally had to go and discover that. Uh, then the other part of that is changing. And then one of the groups that stood out with me and, and understanding, like, what do I need to change specifically was a, a group called CGA, Criminals and Gang Members Anonymous, where it talked about the beliefs. Um, this is all part of the being responsible. So now that I understand, like, what went wrong in my life and the influences, how do I go and change them? And specifically, one of the beliefs that governed my life when I was living a criminal and gang lifestyle that is something that I learned that had to change. And so I discovered that in the self-help group, CGA. And then the other standard that is used in the board is the remorse, being remorseful for the crime that I committed and understanding the impact. And so I learned a lot of that through victim awareness programs, 
and also some of the programs that are currently being facilitated by ARC. And along with that, also being prepared for the possibility of going home, like understanding like transitional housing and things like that, not being uh, like the organization that I work for, ARC, they'll resourceful, be a resource for me once I got home. So I had all these things, I met the standard, like, and so I was very successful in the board and I ended up getting signed too. And, and looking back on, on the crime that you committed, is it something that you think about every day? I do. I do think about it every day. Uh, one, I realize that I'm blessed to have my freedom back. And in, and in me realizing the life that I took that I had no right to take, uh, I see the impact of, of my crime. And so in order to try, in my efforts to right my wrong in that way, and I'm dedicated by just giving back, paying it forward, and being a service to some men and women that have made the wrong decision as myself. So I'm, my commitment, this is how I'm honoring my victim's life. This is how I'm honoring uh, what I did and the wrong that I did is to be able to do the work that I'm doing, be consistent with it, help young brothers, men and women figure things out. And so hopefully they'll have the same uh, uh, successful uh reentry into society as well. And for you, was it a tough transition to be out? I mean, you were you were really young when you went in and you were in for over 20 years. Um, you know, was it tough to adjust to being outside again? Yeah, definitely. I would say that it was, it was very rough considering that from 1994 to 2016, like a lot has changed. So, just that being said, the imp, like how time was moving, the adjustment to that, that the speed time was moving, technology. I think that's one of the bigger things that I suffered with was the advancement of technology. One of the blessings that I had, David, was that I had ARC uh, as a resource to me. Uh, ARC provided me, like, a, it was a soft place for me to land. Like, they provide therapy uh, if I needed somebody to talk to. Uh, they provide education as far as, like I mentioned, with my limited understanding of technology. They have programs there, classes there to teach men and women um, how to, you know, be update with the technology. And um, just a place there that uh, I, with people that I can identify with coming from my same background, you know, being formerly incarcerated there. So I, I felt like just family to me at ARC. And I was very blessed to, to go through there to be a member. So you, you talked at the Second Look Legislation webinar. Um, what is the youth offender parole process, and what difficulties are people having trying to get uh, access to it? So the youth offender parole process is really a Senate Bill uh, 260, and an extension of that of that Bill 261 and 13, Assembly Bill 1308. And the, and the process in that uh, is what it's saying is what's well, allowing an individual, if he's done the work, to be put in a presented to, to, to go to the board and present himself now because of some of the hallmark language in those bills were an individual was arrested at a young age and maybe not an ability to have the full understanding uh, or 
of, of, of the crime, life, the life crime that they committed or making other choices that would have been able to solve the problem. But some of the, some, that's the, pro, the process in, in preparing to go to the board. Some of the things that I've seen that are difficulties in that is a lot of men are not able to prepare for that. They don't have access to the self-help groups. They don't have um, access to prepare for that. So that's some of the difficulties that I've seen with the process of the youth offender parole. Um, and what are some of the uh, legislation, I mean, you just mentioned some, that uh, ARC has supported uh, that address issues of recidivism and also over-sentencing? Yeah, so as I just mentioned about the youth offender parole bill, two, Senate Bill 260, 261, 1308, which make it so that people have a chance to come home in the future. Uh, ARC has also been um, part of Senate Bill 1437, which um, allows the, the, the accomplice, the liability in the felony murder rule. Um, and Senate Bill 1391, uh, that ARC is partnered up with too, which is, has made it where 14 and 15 year olds cannot be tried as adults. Uh, anymore in California. What do you see as the big cause for such a high rate of recidivism? I've seen the number as high as like 70% of people who go to prison will end up back in prison. So I think it's, it's, it's having access, like housing is, is, is very important, is real big. Um, and then, and, and speaking personally for myself, like all the programming that I had inside the prison, like, okay, I still need access to that when I come home. I still need access to the self-help groups. I still need access to, to people keeping me grounded. So I think that um, organizations like ARC that provide this, I think that that is probably like, primarily big like ARC has all these things that I mentioned and I think that the men that don't have access to those I think that's probably that factors in a major way in them recidivate uh, causing them to recidivate and get back in, in the trope. How many people do you think ARC reaches every year? Wow that's I'm not able to to, to narrow that down to a specific number, but I think um, through the work that I do on the Hope and Redemption team, going back in and my team does, and then through just what, what I've seen through ARC in the office and um, a lot, David, a lot. I believe they're, they're reaching out to a lot, and it's growing. Um. And, and what difficulties or obstacles have you come across while being part of uh, the ARC team? Um, you know, basically, you know, you're working with people in the prison system. Uh, obviously, you've had some successes, but have there been difficulties uh, trying to help people, difficulties obtaining services for them, things like that? So yes, I can speak about um, some of the difficulties as, as a hope and redemption team going back into the prison. Um, some of the difficulties in the beginning, I would say it was just the adjustment 
his administration this season, the idea that a formerly life incarcerated lifer would be able to come back in and be able to successfully facilitate group uh, programs. So in, the relationship in the beginning was very difficult, and but I'm proud to say after you know proving myself and proving the trust that things have moving out in that in, in the relationship with the administration. But also, I also would say some of the difficulties that the men have had in signing up for some of the programs that I, I've grown into is just everybody on the list. There's an, an enormous waiting list for men to participate in some of the self-help groups. So what I'm saying is <clears throat> there's, a need, there's a need for more. And so that's one, that would be probably the biggest uh, one of the difficulties that I've ran across. And is that because there are just so many people in prison and you, you know, while your organization is fairly large, it can only reach so many people at one given time. Correct. So yes. And then it's just along with that, having access to, to again, education. Um, some of some prisons don't are not set up at this particular moment where college programs are available as well. And what else do you think that you guys need to do in order to be successful? Or is it just a matter of expanding what you're doing so that you're covering more people? So from my personal experience, well, I think where we can improve in, in the expansion is definitely with the other well, 34 prisons for the men. But also I think that we can do uh, in reaching out to the women as well. Um, and they're and giving them, offering them the same uh, type of programming that we we are able to facilitate in the men prison. Uh, I believe we can we can expand that for the women as well. And when when you go in, what do you what do people in prison say to you? Are they asking you questions? Are they telling you about their experiences? Yeah. So. Um, now that I've, I've been doing this, successfully doing this work for three years now, um, I've built different types of levels of relationships. So uh, the men, they always asking me my day-to-day, like when we do check-ins, what we call check-ins before we get started in the group, we just share momentarily how we feel and briefly speak about things that we've encountered in our lives. So the men are very open to listening to some of my personal experiences now that I've been home. And, then, and like what it is, I'm treading away in CGA, one of the groups we say, we get help from and support from somebody that has trudged, been on the path that we are trudging, trudging the path. So in many ways, that's what I feel like I've done. I have a head start on some of the men that are on their way, uh, doing what they have to do to come home. And I'm just like giving them the pathway. I feel personally on a personal level, it's very important that I'm, and speaking about this whole idea about change, like for the men, I'm an example of what change looks like if they choose choose that uh, choice. Do they tell you about some of the horrors that happen to them in the prison, things that they experience? So yes, um, we share some of the, the the ups, the good stuff, and the bad stuff as well, and and. How do we deal with that? I mean, that is, in, in most cases, an open discussion we have amongst everybody 
in the class. And that's another thing that's, um, that's a game changer. We create these environments where we can have an open dialogue and conversation that doesn't always favor some of the decisions that men make. But leaving out of that conversation with an idea of what I could do better the next time or like what, what I can do now to either correct or figure things out. So to have that kind of environment is very powerful to have these kind of conversations. And you guys are kind of in a position to hear about some of the worst things that happen in prison. Uh, is that an area that you guys are considering going into, pushing for some prison reforms, or is it mainly looking at sentencing changes? One of the issues that happens in prison is, you know, the treatment of people, the conditions in the prison, the lack of health care, all sorts of other problems. Um, and and that, that's kind of a whole other uh, set of issues. Um, is that an area that the anti-recidivism coalition is looking at, or are they mainly focused on changing laws around sentencing and second chances? Okay, I understand the question. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm, I feel good in, in what I'm already sharing. Um, ARC has a relationship with uh, the head of, of CDCR, Ralph Diaz, and one of the uh, conversations has been like, how can we make uh, this whole process and reform and rehabilitation better. So um, ARC has facilitated that conversation with, with with Ralph Diaz and which trickles down to the work that I do with the, with, with the men in prison, like giving them an opportunity to actually express their their concerns and what the men need in prison. Um, so, and then we can, through ARC, give that information back Ralph Diaz and some of the decisions that, that he probably will make as in, in the reform and what needs to be done better. So I think that's very powerful and big. And now that men can have a voice um, on a personal level, what changes that, that can be better for them. So you feel like the prison has actually been supportive of what you guys are trying to do? In this day and age, yes, I, I would definitely say yes. Are you looking at all to expand what you're doing beyond just California, or are you mainly focusing on California at this point? So I believe, like, at this point, it's primarily it is California. Um, um, through some of the conversations that I've had, like in the webinar that you mentioned earlier, um, there is some, uh, I believe other other states will want to model or template what we're able to do with the reform and uh, laws in California. So at this particular moment, so hopefully we can uh, team our primary goal right now is to expand the work that we're doing in California. And I'm just curious, um, you know, how many hours a week are you spending working for ARC at this point? Uh, it's a full-time job. It's, I got 40 hours a week in. Uh, I go into the facility four days out of a week, and I facilitate three groups a day. 
It's a full-time job. And are you mainly in one prison or are you traveling? So I'm traveling. I'm in what we call Region 5, and it consists of uh, four prisons, uh, Centinella, Calipat, Ironwood, and Donovan. And other than the work that you're doing for the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, uh, what are you doing with yourself? I mean, uh, how do you keep busy? Well, uh, well, I'm the only uncle. I got 44 nieces and nephews. I got five older sisters. Still have my parents in my life. So family, uh, family is real big with me. Um, I'm still staying true to some of the um, principles and things that uh, allowed me to come home, which is to be of service, to give back, and to pay it forward. So anytime that I can be a productive member of society and give back to my community, like I look forward to do that anytime. And if that's just sharing my story, if that's going to just clean up uh, in a local beach or something, or just any volunteering my time, like these are the things that I look forward to doing. But also, I also look forward to having some downtime for myself and um, enjoying watching sports and going to the beach and just spending time again with family. And for people who want to get involved, uh, how can they get involved and what do you guys need? So people can get involved. They can reach uh, ARC going to, on our website at antirecidivism.com. Dot org, excuse me, and um, there you can see in depth exactly uh, the programs that we have inside and outside of prison. Um, and we also are located in our office in LA and in Sacramento. Uh, if anybody is in a position of power that can offer jobs uh, that want to help out, that, that also can be arranged. Like if some organization wants to help out and any type of trainings that can be beneficial to the men and women coming home, there's room for that. But you can contact our office and um, be able to see like, in, in what way you would want to donate or just, you know, be a part of it. You can get on our mailing list as well. And how do you guys measure success? I mean, what are you guys looking at when you say, wow, we're doing good work? I think it's, I think now for me it's the the growth, like the growing part of this. Uh, we started off how uh, we started even with the Hope and Redemption team uh, in a short amount of time. Like I know we've we've serviced over over five thousand in my region, five thousand men. But just the the, the mailing list is growing, uh, the conversation and about change uh, is growing. I'm listening. Personally, I'm seeing it in, in, in the prisons, in the groups. Uh, I'm seeing things like it's, it's incredible. And um, with the laws that are supporting uh, this change, I think like the idea, I think that in itself is a testimony, the idea of allowing someone that is sentenced to, 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 to a life in prison, the idea of allowing the men and women to come home with the opportunity to be successful, productive members of society. I think that is a testament in itself. And we're just about out of time. Is there anything else that uh, you think uh, our listeners uh, should know? 
um, yeah, I would just like to say, you know, we believe in second chances. ARC, we believe in and everyone deserves a second chance. And also, we also believe that individuals that have been sentenced and convicted of whatever crimes that they did, that they be held accountable as well. Um, so with the op- with doing the work, with doing the work and writing and doing what they have to do, men and women to change their lives, uh, I, I, we believe that it is um, it is it is appropriate for a second chance if if proven and that they have done the work. Like that. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on our program. Your story is really inspiring, and. It, it, it's an amazing story, and I don't think a lot of people really know that this kind of work is going on. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah, thank you, Dave, for allowing me to uh, come on your show and, and be able to speak, speak to the incredible work that ARC is doing as an organization as well. Great. Well, that was Jamel Carter from the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. This has been Everyday Injustice. We're, we're broadcasting multiple times every week, talking about stories from the injustice system. And this is an inspiring story. It's a rest, uh, story about redemption, uh, a story about a man who was a young man, committed a horrible crime, and that wasn't the end of his life. And that wasn't the sum total of his existence. And he's been able to get out of prison and do work trying to help other people uh, who are in the same boat. So uh, a great story that we don't hear nearly enough about. Join us again next week, and we'll have more stories from Everyday Injustice. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.